Welcome, everybody, to another episode of After Further Review. Mark Ferreira and John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor on the board, and our producer as well. I'd like to welcome everyone wherever you are listening to our podcast. We're very appreciative, very happy that you've subscribed, that you've rated, that you've reviewed us. You need to tell your friends you need to continue explode on the scene, John Pelkey. After further review, Mark Ferrer and John Pelkey, there are so many sports podcasts out there, and there are so many that there's even like five after further reviews, for crying out loud. So we've kind of, kind of got an uphill battle, Johnny. Yeah, and you're already discussing with other people outside of my purveyance uh, changing the format. You want to change this to a completely different show. No more sports, just nothing but your political beliefs. Uh <laughs> With perhaps somebody to, to argue the other side. So this nope. is this our last sports? You can let me know. Nope. You can tell me. Again, I know you, I would you find will out be a part of any future iteration. You will be a part of any futuration iteration. Sorry about that. Or f- futuration, which I think is actually yes. a better, more efficient word. That will be the name of our political show, Futuration. Futuration with Mark and John. No, I think uh, anything we do in the future, which will always include sports, there's no doubt about it. But uh, you will obviously be a part of that, John Pelk. Are you kidding me? Wow. Come on now. Come well, on now. I, you, I, you're, so, you're so distrustful of me. And all yes. I have done my entire career is is uh, is been there for you. I would have to say I've always been there for you. Yeah, you probably have. But I'm still – I'm just waiting because I know <laughs> – You know, I saw Robin Williams once. It's just the slow uh, – it's the I, I, slow – it's the really, slow You're setting con. us up. You're, you're setting us up. It's the slow con. I saw Robin Williams once in Gainesville when he was doing his, you know, his uh, stand-up, and one of the things he did at the end was he asked – he would ask them to put like a, 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 a large box or something just full of whatever, toys, hats, pieces of clothing, anything that he could just do an improv off. You know, he could just have some fun improv And somebody put in a stuffed Shamu. And sure. Robin Williams picked it out, and he goes, he goes, I've always thought that the killer whale's looking at you going, come on, put your head in here one more time. He's just <laughs> setting you up. So that's, you're, that's who you are. Sure. You're Shamu, and you're waiting to get back at the rest of the world. Uh, there's so much to unpack there. There's yeah, so there really is. Just, just calling me Shamu off the top of the head. I mean, come on now, Johnny. <laughs> Seriously, are you kidding me? Come on, Mark. Yeah, I think it's wrong to have, uh, you know, to use animals and, and Big fish and whatever for for entertainment purposes. You know me, card carrying member of PETA. So now half of our listeners. Although you probably watched uh, Tiger King, so you you I did literally not. gave I money. Did I did to, not. Oh, good I for you. Good it. for no. you. You were consistent, John. Pelkey. I caught you. moments of it in the background because my wife, who runs a pet rescue and exactly. knows and knows Carol Baskin, sure, uh, she she did watch it. But no, I, I I didn't. But but I was just thinking. While I think that life is wrong for Shamu. It's literally perfect for you. It's a small contained area that other people clean up after you, bring you food. Every every now and again, you're I trotted have to, out. I have to dance, dance for grandma, grandma, right? Which you know, you you're really gonna you're gonna dig it. I'm good at um, that. And uh, you know, no no, it, it would bother you to have your interaction with other humans cut down on because. You know, you 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 need that. That's where you and I part company. 
Uh, no, you I really get the I get my energy from the interaction. You don't. You're you're right. a natural introvert. I'm a natural extrovert. That's it's true. It drags you, you. You get your energy by going off into the corner and practicing some bizarre bits that you will then unleash on the public after weeks of practice. Yeah, you'll well, go into a corner. You'll read and you'll think and you'll you'll and you'll come out with some brilliant ideas and some brilliant uh, sort of um, witty repartee phrases. Right. And me, none of that. It all happens in the moment with no, the hail- interaction. That, that's an extrovert and an introvert, a classic definition. You're a hail fellow well met, you know, at least on the surface. So you, oh, you, yeah. need, you need all of that. You want to surround yourself with a large group of people who find you entertaining. So Ad- that it's Ad- some admirers. Point. I need admirers all right. around me. So all that at some point. I can bite. I can bite them. You and kill can, them. Yes. You can just go through them like a scythe. Sure. And, you know, you will. You're that little Bernie Madoff. Little, you know, you're kind of that guy where you carry it along for a long time. And they're like, oh, look at this, this guy, Ferreira. That's a guy you want at your party. And then uh-huh. they get yeah. up one morning, bank accounts, emptied cars. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm that smart or, or have that much of a work ethic to get all that done. But yes, they, at, at, at the party, they could be cut in half without without any warning at all. No, in fact, yeah. your your evil is really only held back by your sloth. That's oh. where uh, humanity is lucky because if you were more ambitious, right, 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 the, right. the, the hell you would have wrought on those around you would have sure. been just, just uh, devastating. Right. But, but at the same time, I've got to keep the audience believing in the, in, you know, I've got to keep the wool over the majority of people's eyes. Are you a little Frank Abagnale? You know that name, Frank Abagnale? Sure, I sure do. Catch me if you can. Um, are you a little bit that way? Because, well, you know, hell- are you kidding? That movie you, you, appealed you to me have, on a large, large scale. Right. You don't I, I have, think it would to most people on some level, right? Yeah, yeah, because you don't you don't really have a uh, an identity, uh, a will of my own. Well, no, I don't you, you you don't really have an aversion to theft and and dishonesty or any of those things really. Uh, depending really. on how they could help you. Not really. Um, sure. And, and justifies it's really and, but you'd be that guy in the end that you know eh, you know mark's done his time maybe yeah, we could use a chauffeur or somebody and they'd bring you back on that's the guy you are i make, i make could, you I could see i could see getting a uh, mass mercy granted to me even if i destroyed multiple people's lives yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely i have to be much careful or i am not i'm not cuddly no people aren't going to forgive you as easily as they will me no, 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 no. If I'm if I'm on my knees in front of Negan, uh, I'm the guy who's getting the baseball bat. There's just no doubt. Da- there's no doubt about it. Right. Because it's like, right. well, they're going to miss him because he's been with them for a while. But eh, I don't really care for him that much. You'll move on. They'll move yeah. on pretty quickly. Yeah. If you're so lost. maybe Negan doesn't kill me because it's like, hey, this uh, this, this guy's eh, he's unlikable. So we need him on our team. Well, that'll that's come true. In that'll that's come in. True. It would be more of a shock if I if I was the one killed because the audience would be wait a minute wait a minute you can't kill this guy who we just adore and love. <laughs> oh, but that wasn't Whereas, all, the Mark Ferreira. Right, exactly. And then all of a sudden, you know, subsequent episodes of just unveiling all of the right, just all the, of the evil and all the underlying motivations underneath this, you know, hail fellow well met persona. Now I mean, that's the podcast. That's the podcast we need to do. And I already have the name. It's called Deconstructing What Mark Did. And basically it just takes your life 
from your life as a child through like now a and we just unveil child, every we just unveil more and every week people are like at some point people are going to catch up with this clown and he's going to get what he deserves right i mean you, you don't you just continually go by and i don't know but this pandemic i think this pandemic i think may ha- may have been the great unveiling john pelkey mm. you know it may have been the great unveiling when you don't make any money for months and months at a time right and and you you can't really work and you can't really interact with the public who yeah. you you can't really stoke the adoration of the public right all of a sudden now, people have time to reflect. That's not good for you. No, it is not. not it is the well. opposite of not ungood. Yes, it is it's for me, for Mark well. Ferrer. So just another reason, you know, if you needed one more, well, this pandemic not working for you. Oh, no. People are going to figure you out. On, yeah, multiple levels, it is not. I am not cut out, John Pelkey. I am not cut out for a pandemic. I'm really not. No. Some people are. Some yeah. very responsible, diligent savers, you know, they've saved their whole lives. They they buy in bulk all the time at Costco. You know, they're they're very, very conservative with how they live their lives. It doesn't have to do with their political points of view. It's just very, you know, conservative and they always do the right thing. Those people are made for a pandemic. Not right. me. No. No, no, no. And it's not really bad for me. Because my wife was really good at that part. So she's hanging, she's keeping the uh, financial thing afloat. In fact, she's the only one who's getting her uh, unemployment yet, which is helpful. But she also took care of the money and put all it. I don't really, and got everything together so that we could dog paddle through this for a little while. I don't really need people around. I like to read. I like to watch documentaries. No, I know. I mean, um, and, and even though we talk about, you know, uh, never working in the field that we've chosen, which when you and I will never work in our chosen field again. Um, <laughs> it's, I mean, that, that is true. At, that's going to bother you uh, more than me because you, you you need the adoration and I'm suspicious of it. You know, oh, I, I know when you somebody when somebody compliments me, I think, what in the hell do you want? Because it doesn't yeah. come without a price. Nothing comes without a price. That, that's true, John. You're always suspicious of that, and you uh, you've always accused all all the people in our business is is just being people that are like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, but look at me, look at me. I, you know, I do have a need to express myself as a performer. I mean, actually, I do, which is why the podcast is working, frankly, to tell you the truth. Uh, but uh, well, you, you know, don't have a need for the applause. I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna. Not, we're not gonna act. I mean, as we if don't get any applause. I don't. I get no applause on this podcast. Are you kidding me? Listen to this entire conversation. All it's been is this complete demeaning, putting down, pseudo exposing of my dark character. That's all it's been. There's been zero applause, John Pelkey. Yet, yet I show up every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Yet there, there's your applause, Mark. By the way, anytime I hear canned Thank applause. You. I always think of, I, I don't know who the comedian was. I want to say it's George Carlin, but it isn't, who talked about laugh tracks and television shows and said that it really throws him off because all he can think about is everybody they recorded is dead. So they're not really laughing to this. Uh, no, but I was going to say, Mark, again, you're uh, the, the twisted dark soul that, that resides in you actually benefits from what I'm doing. Because I'm now building up. The people listening are going, man, John, back. Mark's a sweet man. He's, <laughs> he's a good. He's always been there for you. So you're actually getting. I'm just telling the truth. But I really have been, John. Now, yes. you, now, now you're Correct. assuming that you're assuming that it's all the long con. Yo, and at oh, one yes. point in time, I'm going to you're going to you're going to, you know, play with me and feed me and 
go near my mouth and I'm going to kill you or at yes. least drown you. Yes. Just keep you like, underwater. By the way, that last sentence that you had, I hope we edited it out. Play with me, feed me, and near my mouth. I would like that taken out of the podcast for any number of reasons. Well, there's it's so funny because it, in, in uh, today's mentality, I just was watching the Mrs. Maisel finally finish oh, season three. Isn't it brilliant? Oh, it's phenomenal. Finally finished season three. I, I had uh, left season three, I don't know, months ago, and there was the, all that voiceover bit where she was doing, and she there was this one copy that she had to read, and this is 1960, 61, and it just... It just sounded pornographic to the right. modern ear. Right. But back then it wasn't. So it was very anachronistic, but it worked. Sure. You know what I mean? It's one of those kinds of things where they they throw in today's sensibilities. But no, it's a brilliant show. It's brilliantly yeah, written. It's great. great stuff. Great. We stuff. have had we have had a uh, a longer opening than we've ever had, John. This opening and we haven't mentioned minutes. sports at all. We haven't at all. I do want to mention uh, I was listening to Colin Cowherd today. They were back in the studio. Did you realize that? No. They were. They are not. Were they L.A. in, the, in right. their? Well, it's Los Angeles, California, with yeah. a very progressive governor, Gavin Newsom, and yet they are in the studio. You know, it's very, it's very, very careful. Everything's disinfectant, disinfected. Uh, everyone's social distancing, mm-hmm. but they are back in the studio. But he brought up a great point, and I and I and and he got called out on Twitter because he he does love Russell Wilson. Yeah, and he has, he has quote unquote as the kids would say, all the feels for Russell Wilson. But it makes sense. There were rumors today that came out or reported stories that the Seahawks were trying to trade him in 2018 for a number one pick to the Browns, and also that they're thinking of bringing in Cam Newton in Seattle. And Colin went off saying that if this was a rumor in Pittsburgh, if this was a rumor in Green Bay, We'd be hearing about it all day long. If it was Aaron, look at what we heard about Jordan Love for crying out loud. We spent <laughs> right. weeks seemingly talking about a draft pick. Okay, it's and and if you look at Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson's stats for the last eight years since Russell Wilson's been in the league, Russell Wilson's better completion percentage, more touchdowns, more yards, more playoff wins. So why is Aaron Rodgers? The obvious Hall of Famer. More more Super Bowls, oh, by the way. Well, Russell, you, Wilson. Russell Wilson is a better quarterback career than Aaron Rodgers, and no one under, he Actually, he's the most underrated athlete of our time, I would I, Well, I, I've said that. I mean, he got so – I had the argument with uh, – argument. We were discussing with Brian Dawkins, the great Brian Dawkins, um, who comes to the ESPN club fairly regular basis. We have several times this year, three, four times, and I've interviewed him a couple times. And we were talking about underrated because we brought up to him that great question about was there anybody who you had to defend or anybody you played against who was a great player that you kind of owned or anybody that you played against who was uh, you know, a subpar player that, uh, that kind of had your number or whatever. And uh, we started talking about underrated players. And I brought up Russell Wilson and, and Dawkins is like, well, they paid him the huge money. And that's correct. They did play him the huge money. But you're right. He's never mentioned in when the discussion comes up about the quarterbacks. He's, I mean, he's mentioned behind Roethlisberger a lot of the time. Um, now, he's never gotten I, an MVP vote. Not right. one. Couple of, MVP I vote. Are, I think there are a couple of reasons why. First of all, Seattle is reason number one. Because it's you know, the furthest away. No, oh, I know you're wah, 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 East Coast wham. I'm not I'm not justifying Jeez. it, Mark. I'm simply giving you what I believe the the the, the uh 
So the reasons are that he was it's out in Seattle. We're very East Coast centric or we're very centric with uh, traditional franchise. You know, the, the, the Green Bay Packers. People forget where they were just completely from 1972 to, you know, I guess you would have to go to when uh, Don Mikowski kind of started to get them to turn around before Brett Favre into the 90s. But they were they were nothing. But they're you know, they're one of those flagship franchises that everybody thinks about a lot. Uh, Pittsburgh, same way. And then Wilson's just such a unassuming guy, really. Um, I think that has something to do with it. But I do 100 percent agree. He he does not get the credit he deserves. And I would take Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers any day right now, as would I. And so it's interesting, uh, you know, Colin Coward's point was that, you know, the kind of uh, somersaults the media would be going through if it was Aaron Rodgers. We heard this about if Cam Newton was being brought into Packers camp. Can you imagine or if he was being brought into Steelers camp? And there are rumors that he's being brought into Seattle's camp. The other thing, too, and we've talked about this, and, and uh, you sent me an article late in our preparation today, and that's a funny phrase that we actually have preparation before each show. But that you usually means me- I send you articles in the morning. That's pretty much what my preparation is, and we both <laughs> So, So uh, the, the last one you sent was the NFL article about uh, the games and the reopening plans and Concerns how some, as- some assistant coaches, some assistant coaches plus 60 – are concerned, and it's so funny because over the weekend I was telling Trudy that we did a show about the unveiling of the Trudy is my better half, by the way, uh, that we were doing a show or at least a segment based around the unveiling of the NFL schedule coming out. <laughs> and she just kept asking me questions. I mean, she she made me deal with me, as you've said, oh, about goodness. me and, and my son. Right. She kept asking me. Well, wait a minute. If they publish the schedule, that means they're going to do the games, right? I said, not necessarily. She said, well, then why would they publish the schedule? If they don't know if they're going to do a September 13th opening or a September 20th game two, why would they publish that? And I said, that's just what they do. (laughs) I said, that's just what the NFL does. They have a TV show about it. And she says, ah, I get it. They had a TV show about it. Right. So she was very prescient and poignant about what are they doing if they don't even know? But (laughs) I I kept arguing because, uh, you know, I'm that guy. Yeah, well, I mean, and some of it is because they don't know. It just sort of it's like, well, we have to we usually do this, so we might as well do it because we don't know. Though, as we talked about before, some of the things that I thought were interesting was that they they did schedule this year with the thought in mind that they may have to at least postpone the beginning of the season. And so teams that were playing early in September or through the month of September, generally those two teams, and I brought up, I believe it was uh, Washington and Arizona, I believe was the game, is like week two. They both have the same bye week in week seven. And some other teams they did that with, you know, as a contingency just to make it a little bit easier. But I don't think they had any choice. Yes, to, to turn it into a big television show, which got probably better ratings than that. We're going to we're going to find out from Colin Cowherd because he's going to enjoy this. He's going to tell us how much better those ratings were than postseason baseball, since that's one of the, that's one of his things. Uh, overnight ratings. He lives and dies with overnight ratings. He does. But he does. But uh, so, yeah, at, listen, uh, limitations lead to creativity. 
And these programmers and producers and writers, and we've also seen it uh, from entertainers, they're, they're having to come up with uh, creative ways to do their job and to monetize what they do. So kudos to, uh, kudos to ESPN. I stuck with it for a while, but I couldn't get through the whole three hours of the unveiling of the schedule. Well, well because it got so inside baseball and it got so matrixy that you could, you could barely follow it. Although one of the things that came out was that Detroit and Washington have no primetime games. Only two teams with no primetime games. All right, let's move on to progressive trivia. We slated our opening segment for seven minutes. We've spent 48 on it, so let's move on to see if we can... Uh, Almost 20. I know. Almost 20. Let's see what we can do here. Progressive trivia, we're looking for an NFL Hall of Famer, boys. Five years, double-digit touchdowns, played with Mike Tice and Charlie Young. Are you familiar with both of those individuals? Yes. Do you, are you familiar with the position they played in the NFL? Yes, they both played the same position. They did uh, at tight end, so it's right. it's se- it's semi old school for maybe someone like Jeff who was born when they may have come into the league. When did they come into soon, the league? Very, what's that? When did they come into the league? Well, they they. Um, well, yeah, I, they, they I don't want you to give away in, the they trivia. They were certainly part of the '80s. They were involved in the '80s. Okay. Okay. And Charlie Young's a little older than Mike Tice, I believe. Yes. Mike Tice is around my age because I remember he played at Maryland. And I remember when he was at Maryland, actually, growing up in the D.C. area. Um, but uh, Charlie's probably a little younger than that. He may have even come into the league, you know, early 70s. Yeah, you mean you mean older a little bit uh, than Mike Tice. Charlie Young may be a bit older than Mike Tice. Oh, I say younger. Yeah, a bit, uh, he, I think he's probably older than Mike Tice and maybe six or seven years older. So they both played tight end in the National Football League. Mike Tice and Charlie Young, this guy played with both of them. Five years, double-digit touchdowns for this guy. NFL Hall of Famer and a Rookie of the Year. So all of those clues, there's only one guy that's that, is, that all of those clues apply to. Okay. okay. However, it is somewhat nebulous, I agree. But there is only one Okay, give it to me one more time. Give me, give me the clues one NFL, more time. NFL, he's a Hall of Famer. Okay. He was a Rookie of the Year. Okay. Five years in his career, he had double-digit touchdowns, so that's 10 or more. Okay. And he played with Mike Tice and Charlie Young. All right? Okay. Hmm. All right, well, so that's... here we go. Now, now let's go to our poll question discussion. This is, this is a um, little curveball, John Palkey. You, you pointed it out a little bit earlier today. Normally, we talk about our poll question at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. But because this is sort of new, doing this whole week, giving everyone a week to chime in on our poll question, I thought maybe we'd kind of prime the pump a little bit, stoke the fires, if you will, a little bit, and talk about our answers the, uh, to our poll question, which is the most heartbreaking player loss for your team. And if and if you and I start talking about that and justify why, because you threw out Joe Montana, accused me of not caring about people because that wasn't one of mine, and I had to tell you why, and then right. you finally relented. You just you just default on accusing me yeah. of evil intentions. Yes, and, because and, I know you and dark, dark, um, you know, a dark, dark approach to any sort of empathy to any other human. <laughs> That's the right. default you have for me. Yes, and you've known me for twenty years, so perhaps twenty one justified. We've been working together twenty one years. That's you, true. Okay, you, so you mo- be better at this. Most heartbreaking player loss for your team. 
So you said I'd be surprised at yours. Well, I it's uh, I, and I had to change it to a coach because as I went through players, I, I really was struggling to come up with players. Um, but for me, it was when Steve Spurrier left Florida. It was the most surprising. All right. Uh, it came out of nowhere. I was at my parents. They did not have a computer, though. My dad had web TV. Anybody remember web TV? Yeah, uh, my dad had. My dad had web TV and it was really slow. And, you, you know, if you you could see maybe the front page of the ESPN site, but then it take 20 minutes for the story to download. And I remember he had been, you know, looking at something on there. I, I think actually he reconnected with some friends from his high school days or whatever. And it, I slept in the uh, the guest bedroom that had the TV where my dad would watch TV at night. So he left and I'm like, oh, no, leave it on. I want to flip on, you know, I want to flip on the uh, uh, the Internet for a minute. Just check the news. And I popped onto the ESPN site and it just said Spurrier resigns. And then I could not get to the story. And it wasn't uh, it was after. Like at, at uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was, it was, it was 2000, I think, maybe 2001. Um, no, it was 2001 because I went to the last home game that Spurrier coached against Tennessee with the aforementioned Jerry Isinger, actually, at Florida Field. And it was a rescheduled game because the Tennessee game was going to be on the weekend after September 11th, and they moved it to the end of the season. So that's when it happened. Um, but that was all I could get from the was just the headline. You can imagine SportsCenter wasn't on uh, because there was a game or something. And I had to, you know, on the crawl, it was just saying Spurrier resigns. I couldn't get any specifics on the story. So that was really, for me, the most shocking uh, departure from any team that uh, that I can remember in my lifetime. And I struggled to come back with any any other. Um, the only other one I could really come up with was uh, when Art Monk left the Redskins. And I know Art Monk was a uh, progressive trivia yesterday. Last night. Um, last night, yeah. Um, I, I was disappointed in that because Art Monk was a uh, first round draft choice of the Redskins and he was their first first, first round draft choice in I believe a decade at that point because right. George Allen had traded them all away. So I had a really kind of special place and I met Art Monk later on and I think he was just a great player and uh, 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 just a solid guy that I liked a lot. So that one bothered me. But for the most part, the, the Spurrier one's the only one that comes to mind that just had a visceral reaction to. So it's interesting. You have Spurrier and Art Monk. Jeff, you had you have Anthony Rendon. It's a no-brainer for you. Which was he dethroned Shaquille O'Neal for me because that was my heartbreak originally as a kid because I remember that ping pong ball coming up and the Orlando Magic when he was the inevitable first overall pick. The Orlando Magic got that ping pong ball and uh, just like everything became that's when I really, really became a magic fan was like, Oh my God, my home team is going to be phenomenal. And yeah. uh, so when and he left, were. when he left, that was very disappointing. But uh, Rendon, I just have fallen in love with as a person and a player. So he's really my style guy. He's quiet. He does his job and uh, I was sad to see him go. Going to continue to be a fan though. Well, and you, you don't know, what the future holds for Rendon. He's probably going to be highly productive. There's no doubt about it. With Steve Spurrier, however, he was not productive. In no, he went, to my, he went to my team. Exactly. That, that, he obviously, went, that didn't happen until few, several days later, but uh, he went there. So that was a double whammy in the end because I, you know, I didn't want him to leave Florida. 
Uh, I would have I would have even preferred he would have stayed at Florida, even if he would have had success with Washington, because college football is more my thing than pro football. Um, but then he then he just, you know, he was a tire fire in Washington. So it was a kind of the double whammy for that. Yeah. And then later on, he had some success at South Carolina, but never the success he had at uh, at Florida. And whereas Shaquille O'Neal leaves Orlando, he brings this expansion franchise to the finals but then goes to Los Angeles and promptly wins three consecutive uh, NBA titles. Mine is in that league because not only did mine hurt at the time and disrupt a winning franchise and a championship franchise, but he went on, in both cases, both my guys, went on to greater success even than they had with my team. The first one is Gaylord Perry, John Pelkey. Gaylord Perry for the San Francisco Giants was a foundational cog to that pitching staff along with Juan Marichal. And you had an aging Willie Mays, an aging Willie McCovey, although Willie McCovey was, you know, not as old, but you had a pretty good team that won the division, by the way, in 1971 and uh, took a game from the eventual. World Series champion, the Pittsburgh Pirates in the playoffs and the NLCS. And then in that offseason, inexplicably, they deal Gaylord Perry, who had averaged about 18 wins for the last four or five years for the Giants. And the very next year, he goes on to win the Cy Young Award for the Cleveland Indians. I mean, you have to be a really good pitcher to win the Cy Young Award for the Cleveland Indians. And he was traded for Sam McDowell. <laughs> Suddenly Sam McDowell, uh, our gosh, old friend. Who I never had any love for. No, we just used to do shows with him. The only go- the one thing, a good thing I could say about that is even Sam McDowell will admit it yeah. was a horrible move by the Giants. He, he blew will his arm that. out five games into that season, and he was yeah. never the same. He, it, yeah, he, you know, he was they, a decent pitcher. He was a good pitcher prior to that. Sure. And it didn't sure. look as horrible in the moment. Um, but, uh, yeah, I could see where that would bug you. I, boy, when you said Gaylord Perry, I thought, oh, this is the Sam McDowell trade, of course. So that's a – I think that's probably the worst one because, as we've mentioned before, Willie Mays was traded, but he was at the end of his career. Joe Montana was traded, but we had a reigning MVP – as our quarterback, and they and they gave Joe to an organization that was going to really use him properly. So he landed in a great location, and we were still fine as a team. The other one, though, when it comes to football, is Charles Haley. Oh. I mean, Charles Haley, we not only traded, but we traded to the Cowboys? Right. What are we thinking? Right. Gaylord Perry went to the American League. Yes. Uh Joe Montana went to the AFC. Yes. So, the, you know, the only chances were there was no chance you were going to meet Gaylord Perry in a World Series, given that he'd gone to Cleveland and that you dealt him. So neither you nor Cleveland was going to get to the World Series at that point. True. Uh, now, there was a chance, obviously, and as you mentioned, we you know, both San Francisco and uh, uh, Kansas City got to the playoffs. When got Joe to the was, championship game. Right. right when, when, when they were there. So that, that could have happened. But, uh, yeah, Charles hit to the Cowboys. Goodness. And, and he goes and he wins three with them. He won two with us, and he was obviously an all-pro 
But because he was a little, I don't know, moody. <laughs> he had, you know, he he's he's he was a little now. moody. He had uh, he had some issues, uh, some mental health issues that he's that he's addressed later in life. We talked about that. And, uh, and, and, and if you think progressive San Francisco would understand that and roll with it and try and help him so that he could continue to be massively productive for their team. But no, they I, shuttered I him off. I don't think, you know, uh, NFL franchises necessarily mirror the progressiveness of their cities. They should. It's still, a pretty, it's still a pretty conservative uh, approach to things because of the amount of money that's involved and all well, of those things. Dallas, Dallas mirrors their city. That franchise mirrors their city, John. <laughs> well, we're down a president because of the, said, because of what, that city. What I and said, that organization has mirrored it throughout the generations. Well, let's go to the tape. What I said is, NFL organizations don't generally um, uh, mirror the progressiveness of their city. I a conservative city makes because it's a it's kind of, you know, those corporate structures are a, a little more conservative. But in hindsight, it's pretty short sighted. That was a bad one. Yeah, it, was it wasn't a good one. He And boy, I tell you, I talk about a guy uh, I'd mentioned uh, to you before the show that our uh, friend of the show, my good friend, Dane Becker, had uh, was asking about wanting us to offer up to him some championship series in uh, multi-game series in baseball, basketball, um, um, and hockey that happened before 1990 because he's younger than us and he wants to get more involved in the history of the sport and watch some great, uh, now that uh, practically everything's available online, watch some old series, have some fun. Just like, you know, I love going back and watching highlights of the first Super Bowl or old college uh, bowl games. Um when you talk about lost to history things, Charles Haley's relatively contemporary player. And I yeah. would bet you that there are a lot of 20 somethings approaching 30 something NFL fans who don't know much about Charles Haley at all. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And uh, he won five Super Bowls, two with the Niners, three with the Cowboys. And he is a Hall of Famer. Oh, by the way. So out of <laughs> out of uh, James Madison, my friend. James Madison in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Spent spent some wild weekends there. James Madison. It's a good place. Saw Gary Clark play. Another James Madison guy. Gary, Gary Clark. I would a, always pass by the exit for James Madison on the way. 75. Visit my children. I, 95. Yeah. 95. Yeah. It's on it's the western. It's on the west side. of uh, James Madison isn't on 95. It's on 75. Harrison well, there's Burke. an exit to James Madison on 95. No, no, there's not. You're missing something. Else. Nope. So you, nope. you might be. A, there might be an exit to James Madison's home, Montpelier. Maybe that's what you saw. But uh, James Madison University is in Harrisonburg. It's in the western part of the state. In fact, if you uh, drinking age for and again, Please, no underage drinking. Drinking age in West Virginia when I was younger was 18 for uh, everything. It was 18 for beer and wine in Virginia. And people who went to school at James Madison could just simply drive to West Virginia. It was only a, it was a very short drive to a, to a liquor store called State Line Liquor Store. And uh, you could purchase your liquor and then bring it into Virginia. So, ah, the old days. I love it. Now there'd be a dragnet set up there. You'd be gunned down at the border probably. Well, if you're, you know, if you're carrying a bazooka and just have a subway, you probably wouldn't be gunned down. But if you were, you know, jogging, you might be gunned down. Depends on your hue. Yeah, really does. Really does. Speaking of college football, a lot of haziness out there, John and Jeff. Mark Emmert, 
who is the uh, the head of all that is you know holy and righteous if you're if you're it's part it. of the NCAA organization has said that he is uh, that that organization is not going to deem any opening day as a hard line in the sand. Um, and a lot of coaches, a lot of athletic directors out there, John, have wanted that, ha- have longed right. and um, yearned for leadership to tell them what to do. And that's a big thing we're hearing all across the country and, and in states and in localities as well. We're hearing we want leadership. We need leadership to tell us what to do. And the reason why I think Mark Emmert's decision is a the only call he could make, yep. whether it's good or bad or right or wrong, is immaterial. It's the only thing he could make because there are institutions – and uh, university systems that are already out there saying, eh, we're probably going to be online for most of the fall. And that includes yeah. most of the California state and the UC uh, California institutions out in California. Did the so UC, if, did UC uh, go with it as well? Because I know Cal, the Cal State system does. That includes, I don't know, like Fresno State, San Diego State, the University of California. That's your uh, Cal Bears, UCLA. And yeah, that sort of thing. So I hadn't heard that they'd made the move already. The latest article is saying the UC systems are, you know, leaning that way as well. Okay, they're, okay. They're, yeah, they're going to well. kind of jump in at any moment. And it really does. I mean, it's the whole Tip O'Neill thing. It's all politics are local. And it depends on them. It depends on where you are. I mean, you talked about the villages people the, because, I mean, I, I went and got some takeout on Mother's Day and one of the restaurants in the villages was open and you claimed it was because they listened to Tucker Carlson. Yes. And I think it's because in Marion County, they have five deaths and 150 cases. Well, that's some of it. Yeah, there's probably also that's a no huge t- part of yeah, it from little or no testing as well to probably. Well, I mean, that's that's also a, as you know, but they live and, and there's a state of the art medical center every other block in the villages. <laughs> and yes, they are of a of an age that is more susceptible, clearly. And it was social distance and the servers were wearing masks, but it was open and forty people were in that restaurant. Right. And I think a lot of it has to do with what your community is doing and thinking and in their community. It hasn't affected Marion, Lake, or Sumter County, which is right. all the counties that the villages sprawl through. And I think that you can, you know, use a telescope and expand that example to the rest of the country and to states and to university systems. And Mark Emmert's right. There's no way he can control all that, John. Right. Now, to your point, there was the only answer because there, there's no way he can do that. I, I think there's obviously – you know, the desire for leadership is one thing. And again, I think there's some of that there. But also, you know, it's always nice to have somebody else take the pressure off of you. So right. exactly. it's easy to say, well, golly, yeah. we, you know, the NCAA said we could do this. Just because somebody says you can do it doesn't mean you should. Um, so I think that's coming to play. What I thought was interesting was they just they were discussing, again, the the idea that uh, these conferences may start some of them without every team in the conference being involved and that we might, we might run into that. It's not unprecedented. It happened in 1943. As a matter of fact, uh, in the Southeastern conference, uh, there were schools after Pearl Harbor in December of 41, 42 season went on generally, uh, as, uh, 
as expected. But by 43, so many uh, young men had left to join the military. And and then were also there were shortages and uh, there there was rationing of things like gasoline. It became difficult. It had become difficult for some of the schools to try to field a football team. There were actually schools, I mean, big schools like Vanderbilt and things saying, we don't know if we have 11 people. And this, you know, this was one platoon football. They played both ways. There were some schools didn't know if they had 11 guys they could put on the field. And the University of Florida, John Taggart, I believe, was the uh, uh, was the president of the school, said, well, we could put 11 guys out there, but we're we're not going to play. And he talked about the fact that there were resources that should go other places during the war. So a number of the teams did play, but not everyone. So it's not unprecedented. And it's sounding more and more to me like we we may open a college football season, maybe, you know, Maybe not the end of August, but into September and some conferences. I, I don't I don't think every conference is going to be uh, playing and some of the independents may choose not to. And some of the conferences may not be uh, fully stocked either. I think the most realistic if we were betting people, if we actually did our research and decided to do an over under or uh, uh, some sort of educated betting, kind of the research Ooh. that Jeff did. You know, with the with the DraftKings, you know, where he was able to be successful because he actually treated it like a full time job. <laughs> uh, if we actually did that, I think John that we're going to get sports back, but everything's going to be truncated. Every single sport is going to be yeah. truncated on one level or another. Uh, life that anything that has to do with a crowd, theater, yeah. movies, restaurants, sports are going. Uh, theme parks are all going to be truncated. Until June of 2021. Yeah. You know, where we've done a second cycle and then June, it kills it off. These kinds of things, most scientists are agreeing. It, 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 it replicates SARS to some degree. And it has an 18-month to 24-month uh, shelf life. And June of 2021, we will be past it. It will be the great pandemic of, of our century, like there was in the previous one. And uh, it's it's in that truncated time between seriously, na- I mean, you know, the next year is, you know, how how well we're going to be able to get back to normal post June of 2021. Yeah, I and, agree. And and hopefully we just think about that, have a long vision. Let's get back to a place where June of 2021, we can basically be where we were in June of 2019. Yeah, as yeah. best we can. So this truncated thing is all about ramping up. It's not about opening up 100% now. It's about ramping up to opening up 20% or 100% in June of 2021 so that when baseball comes fully back then, we don't have to have a DH, a universal DH. Oh, if that happens. And if you're listening, Pete Zicky, if that happens, I'm coming for you. No. I blame you. Yeah, we're it's, it's ridiculous. We no. need to maintain the integrity of the game and i know we sound like old people i know we are old people we are old actually so what so so, so why, why not sound it? like old people why fight it john pelkey where's that lock do you know what not bothers me candy. do you know what bothers me about this universal dh thing is that What's means that? that there's one person on every team that is more likely to get sick now where they could have just kept it one less person that would be in a position to be out there and getting sick 
That's a good argument. They should have gone because he's they should have gone out all the time, and he's not out. He's not in the field. You mean? What do you mean? No, he's there. He's they have to now, bring extra. Guys. They have to bring a DH now. They got to bring a guy that's a hitter. So they they could have you know they could have take gone the opposite route. I'm not being serious, by the way. Although this point there's is pretty little, good. There's a little truth to it. Yeah, it's one more guy that's going to be out there in the. Uh, They're in already the, talking about expanding the. Uh, they are. Expanding the 30, rosters as well. From 25 to 30. Yeah. They have I've to read play close. But there are a number of reasons. Some is the fact that they're, if they're going to try to get 80 games in, they may have to get them in in what is less than half of a normal season. So they're going to pack the games in together. Again, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm, I will fully admit that I am missing baseball. And I'm not a guy who sits down and watches a lot of baseball games. Um, I, I'm, I'm that traditional first month of the season, I'm all in. And then I'm just checking sort of the standings, catch something here and there, and then dial in again at the all-star break and then back for the playoffs sort of guy. Though, I, you know, I, I do pay attention and I know what's going on. But as far as sitting and watching baseball games, I'm now at the point where I just would sit and watch a baseball game. Um, you're, you're a pretty traditional guy, John. You really are. You, yeah. You, you really don't buck against uh, trends. You really kind of go with the styles of the time. You really do. <laughs> <laughs> Dripping invective in your voice with that. Oh yeah, I, of course. I don't appreciate any of those qualities, obviously. But All you, right, I assure you, Mark never gives in to style, ever. No, and and it's a source of pride for me, and a source of uh, repulsion, I guess, for everyone who looks at me. Did All you right, lose so, Jafar hat though? By the way, did the Jafar hat just? Did you lose it? No, I've taken. Uh, I've taken. The uh, gentle, nurturing advice from our good friend Riley Claremont and my better half, Trudy Bruner. And uh, I'm either going sans hat or doing more sort of a sports-themed sure. hat for now. I'll, I'll break out Jafar okay. at the appropriate time. But it was getting too much for uh, you know two of the major people in my life. I think you probably felt the same way. You kept bringing it up, John. But at some point you thought, you know what? Screw the mob mentality <laughs> after you with with Jafar. Keep it on forever. So, yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I had fun with it because, again, it was, I knew I know one of the main reasons you're wearing it is because it was free. It was given to you. <laughs> and, 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 and I approve of that in every way as I'm going to go, go out and do yard work in the in the long sleeved NFL equipment shirt that was given to me by, I believe, the equipment manager of the Carolina Panthers 14 years ago. Um, speaking of Cam Newton. Uh, so I, I approve, I, I approve always of anything free. I know you do. We, we, we live our lives in the Particularly swag now. we've gotten over the last 15, 20 years. You're going to help us now that we have no earning potential. We, yeah, not only potential, we haven't made a cent. You, you've made a few bucks, but we haven't made really a cent in nine weeks at this point. Just in time. made a little more actually today. Oh, uh, that's good. Got a, little, got a little payment from another game. Did, did. All right. Well, good for you, man. Yeah. Well, you know, it's no, I know. Not enough for a week's worth of food, but yeah, well, yeah. Well, look look at me. I could skip a meal. You could go. You could go for time. a bar run, you know, and restock the bar with the money you probably got. No, not go. Oh, boy, last time I had to restock the bar. Boy, we can't talk about it. Thank God my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> All right, let's go back to progressive trivia. The first four clues: He's an NFL Hall of Famer. He had five years of double-digit touchdowns, which means 10 or more for all of you math-challenged folks out there. Played with Mike Tice and Charlie Young. Those are two uh, tight ends from back in the day. Mike Tice, obviously a former head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. And uh, a rookie of the year. He was a rookie of the year as well. Next four clues coming up. Eight years. He had over 1,000 yards rushing. Eight. Pretty good. 
Listen to this, John. You like these kind of clues. As a college sophomore, you love college football. His team went undefeated, won the Orange Bowl, yet finished second in the nation. Interesting, right? A hundred career touchdowns, exactly a hundred. So if you want to cheat, you can. And he's in the top 15 all time in rushing yards. So he's a Hall of Fame running back with a hundred career touchdowns, top 15 all time in the rushing yards, had eight years of over a thousand yards rushing. As a college sophomore, his team went undefeated, won the Orange Bowl, finished second in the nation. First four clues, once again, he's a Hall of Famer, obviously. Five years, double-digit touchdowns, played with Mike Tice, Charlie Young. He was a rookie of the year. All right, let's see. Johnny, did you send me? God almighty. Yeah, you got it. I, Thank you. I have lost my freaking touch on this thing. <laughs> did, the, did the college football thing help you at all yes. or not? Yes, it gave it to me. Uh, before the college football thing, I was, yeah. I, I was sort of in. Uh, I was sort of in on it. I, I, the name was among like a half dozen others, but the college football one was a definite giveaway. Well, I'm putting myself behind the eight ball right off the bat when I say Hall of Famer. And then yeah. I and then, you know, that's the thing I, I. I I need to be a little bit more nebulous up front, but I think it's fun for people. To, I, whatever. It's fine. I've lost my I've lost it. I've lost, I've lost my progressive you. trivia touch. You, it bothers you. It's bothering you. It shouldn't bother you. It's no big deal. It's just a little trivia thing. It's a fun game. All right. So we were talking about baseball before and the uncertainties there. And uh, we talked about the the plan that the Major League Baseball owners had approved on Monday, our last show. And we were both forecasting the trouble ahead with the revenue sharing plan because the players had already voted on a prorated rate for their salaries. Right. As we mentioned, if you're making $10 million, you play half the season, you're going to be making $5 million. But you don't know what you're going to make if it's all based on a 50% revenue share from what you do. So smartly, smartly, uh, the players, when they got a hold of this plan yesterday and started talking to the owners, they started talking about testing, locales, logistics, what happens if someone gets sick, all of the contingency testing locale questions that need to be answered and need to be ironed out. But it remains to be seen, John, and it could get very ugly, according to our friend Jeff Passon, who we've interviewed on quite a few occasions. Yep. Um, He's got good sources, too. Passes, once you know, we, uh, and, and it just makes perfect sense that once it gets the re- to the salary end of it, that the players are going to have a problem because they equate revenue sharing. And, and please explain this to our audience because I need explanation. They equate revenue sharing with a salary cap. Well, um, I guess I, because I it's it's as much as the revenues that, that are made is what the players can get. Right, so there, there is a cap to it in that sense. And it's an arbitrary amount that really isn't dependent upon people's which doesn't have anything to do with uh, people's talents or whatever their resume is. It's just like it's a finite. They're, they're just throwing something out there that's a finite amount. And I know that that's not 100 percent true on a revenue sharing thing. But I you're it seems like you're no longer you're just in a club that's getting paid. You're no longer getting paid for your uh, um 
your relative worth or what you've negotiated. Yeah, your relative worth or what you can negotiate. And I know with the salary cap, it's, you know, it's kind of, well, wait a minute. Why, if the market will bear more, why should, you know, the owners are going to make more money than, uh, why should there be a salary cap? Because it'll, yes, eventually the salaries will climb up. But I, I think there's just a healthy distrust that the owners will be honest about the amount of money's coming in. And I think it's going to be very, very difficult um, moving forward to determine what that money is. Yeah. And then how do you allocate that money? Um, do you well, allocate that money? Supposedly it's 50-50. Supposedly it's right down the middle. Right, but how do you allocate that to the individual players? Everybody's going to make the same no, Again, you, have, you have to prorate it to whatever they were making prior. So if they were a $30 million a year player, then they get whatever that math, that right. algorithm works out. I mean, that's exactly right. that's a great question, obviously. It, but it's going to be a hard thing to do. And we brought it up before. If you're on the lower end of the scale now, what, what, what are you what are you going? It's it's very difficult. I, I think they were smart to determine some of these other things, because as we talked, uh, we talked about testing is a big one. Um, there's a there is a. Um, proposal up in the NFL uh, that, that's been talked about. And again, these are speculation things that have come out where they're asked, they would ask people to sign a waiver, you know, so that the, the league wouldn't be responsible if they did get they you know, they would acknowledge just like if you're, if you're doing something that's dangerous zip lining, you would acknowledge that there's a level of danger involved. So I think that's going to be a little bit of a slippery slope, but there are a lot of other things to unpack. So I, I think probably knowing that this decision now, as as we've seen a few states pushing things back even more uh, now through June, some closures, um, I think uh, it's smart of them to realize we don't have to decide the money thing right away. Let's get all of these other things in a, in a row. And I think there's also a uh, a benefit for the players particularly, because what it'll end up being then is you could have baseball, but the billionaires won't let the millionaires get on the field. So there's a little class warfare thing that will go on there. Uh, so I think it benefits the players um, not to feel like they have to make this decision right away. Because, again, these other things, which are not the crux of the deal getting done, the money will always be the crux, but they have to be decisions that are agreed upon as well. So why not? I think it's kind of smart. Why not go in and go, all right, here's everything that's on the table. Let's start with the ones we think we can most easily agree on, and then we'll work our way up to the big one. Because a lot of those decisions underneath may affect how the players and the owners feel about the money issue. Right. I agree. And I think that it is very smart. And baseball's done a nice job over the last 25 years since the, uh, you know, since the strike in 94. But remember, the strike in 94 was all about the salary cap. And the salary cap is like a third rail for the players union. Yep. Now, to your point, if it's 50-50 and they can be assured of what the money is and they can be assured of where the revenue is going to be generated from, you know, everyone wants to get back on the field, but we've seen it before. The players literally sacrificed the World Series. I mean, the players are the ones that shut it down in 94. Yeah. They said, we are not coming back until you take the salary cap off the table. I don't think that's going to be the case this time around. I think they're going to find a middle ground, but I think what the players are worried about, and it's like any issue in this country whether it's abortion if you're a left-winger, whether it's Second Amendment rights if you're a right-winger, giving any ground on any of those issues to the other side, you always worry about a slippery slope and that they're going to take more than you have agreed upon. Well, and yeah, and I, 
I think it comes into play with our what well, why uh, I don't like the idea of the universal DH just for this 80 games because I think once uh, you know again exactly you can't put the genie back in the bottle and I think there is that concern and I think it's a valid concern it is a valid concern they, they want to make sure that they go back to the normal way of negotiating salaries sans any sort of salary cap sans any sort of revenue sharing outside of what's already been in there uh, when, when they, when things get back to normal, which is probably frankly a, about 12 or 13 months away from now. Yeah. So, so I think that's legitimate. I think they have to deal with that. But to your point, I think it's a very, very important that they're dealing with all of the uncertainties right now that are based in science, based in testing, based in how accurate the tests are. Oh, by the way, bet, uh, based in all the logistics of all these home fields. That's one of the things they say. We're going to try and keep it in the home field as much as we can. What does that mean, John? Okay, I, you know what? That confused me as well because I thought I thought they were to try to get to let as many teams play at home, and it's like, well, one I, of them's got to be the away it, team. Just yeah. that, what they mean, what they're meaning is that there may be some states where it is not you can't play there at all. So that you would have to find there would have to be a stadium uh, adjacent to that area in a different state. College football has talked about this a little bit, too, in pro football. Uh, So that's what it really means is that they would like to open up the season with everyone having home games. You're only going to get 40, obviously, but 40 home games. But while recognizing there may be some areas where. Right. Okay, we're ready to go in August. They may not be ready to go until early September, so maybe you won't have those home games. Right, we'll and, do some th- we'll do some games in San Diego as opposed to Los Angeles if San Diego County is more and willing. And also, you've got to have contingency plans, Mark, in case there is another outbreak in the fall. Right, and if exactly. you are playing in Colorado, and all of a sudden that becomes a hot spot, can you move the Rockies? Is there some place in Nevada that the Rockies can move to, or some an adjacent state to play in? And all of those things are going to have to be. Um, are going to have to be there as well. It's funny because to your point, you know, the, the third rail, they're going to, they're going to work on all these other things and it will eventually come back to the one thing that it always comes. Always. Yeah. Um, But I do think, uh, I don't know if you agree with me or not, but I do think that politically for the players to get it to the point where they've agreed on everything, but the money um, might benefit them. There will always be those people who think, you know, you're just playing baseball, shut up and play. But I do think if uh, if they can frame it properly and say, hey, this handful of billionaires, by the way, whose wealth has quadrupled uh, in the last 40 years when the American dream was uh, shuttled out the door. But by, uh, by, well, anyway, um, well, we, we, we probably can get get an actual date when it started. Sometime uh, January in January of 1981, right? January of 1981, yeah, when all of that changed. But uh, when you, the you hostages know. were released is when the American dream, yes, fell apart. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. But uh, and, and now you know this has gone on. So now I start to go down that rail, and I, and I, I lose my train of thought when it comes to uh, to the to the rest of things. But uh, I, I think that's you know that's the one thing I think that the. Uh, that the players could have going for them is saying these this handful of people are really the ones holding up baseball. We all want to play. Yeah, and I mean, there that union has shown itself to be by far the strongest players. Oh goodness, of, yes, of any of the sports. Marvin so Miller I, needs to be in the Hall of Fame. I think he finally was. I, did they find? Did they find? They did finally put him in last. I, I think this, this 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 year. I think this this coming. Okay. 
posthumously they finally put him in. It's it's what they're going to do with Pete Rose, what they're going to do with Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens. They have to wait for them to die, and then they'll put him in the Hall of Fame. But uh, I'll tell you what. We had another topic that we want to discuss. We're already over an hour, Johnny. And I think we should save the topic. It was okay. about the NBA great NBA's greatest decade, and it was based, I will tell the listeners and you, what it was based on, at least with me, was looking at the top 75 players. You know, everyone's ranking everything these days. Everything's a list because there's nothing else going on. And I love those kinds of lists. Uh, and they got to the top 10 greatest players. Yeah. And uh, number 10 was Shaquille. Number one was Michael. There was a lot of Lakers in there. You had Wilt. You had Kobe. You had Magic. You had Kareem. You had uh, Bill Russell and Larry Bird. Obviously, LeBron, Tim Duncan. And uh, based on that top 10, we can ascertain what it was the best NBA decade. Takes a little math, takes a little discussion. But I say we table that, John Pelkey, for another okay. episode. I'm all for it. And we get to the next uh, set of progressive trivias, even though you've already gotten it right, which, man, I tell you, my self-esteem, my self-worth, the what I base my identity on and what I base being able to get up in the morning every day, all that is ebbing. All that is being just just undercut with this. I'm telling you, man, you know, it, I, I may end up I may end up being the Edgar Allan Poe. Well before you, Johnny, and I know uh, I, I know there's a lot of uh, over unders out there with between you and I. That should be the poll question. <laughs> who, who do we lose first? <laughs> All right. So the first eight progressive trivia's, and by the way, John will do one to nine, and he'll probably do baseball because it's much easier to keep people in the dark with baseball than it is with any other sport. But uh, regardless, I'm not going to compare myself, and I'm not going to put John Pelkey under for his, uh, you know, brilliance with progressive trivia. NFL Hall of Famer, five years, double-digit touchdowns. Played with Mike Tyson, Charlie Young. I thought that would throw you off, Johnny. Rookie of the year. Mike Tyson, Charlie Young didn't throw you off, huh? No, Mike Tyson helped me. The Charlie Young one, I'm still, I'm not 100% sure. Mike Tyson helped you? Yeah, because I knew where Tyson finished his career. Eight years over Some a things I just remember. That's good. I'm proud of you. Eight years over a thousand yards rushing. It's a college sophomore. The team went undefeated, won the Orange Bowl, which I guess is what the giveaway was. That was the giveaway for me. Finished second in the nation. See, I, I wouldn't equate that school with the Orange Bowl necessarily all the time, but you would because you're much more acute with that. 100 career touchdowns, top 15 all time in rushing yards, top 25 all time in touchdowns. Top five in career t- playoff touchdowns. That's a big one. That's 17 helpful. playoff touchdowns. And he was a member of an all-decade team as well. So he's a top 25 all-time TDs, but top five career playoff touchdowns. That's big. That's a big disparity right there. And that should give you a very good clue about his playoff career. 17 playoff touchdowns, all-decade team. Uh, his team in the playoffs when he was this will be a free clue. They were fourteen and five, so there you go. It should that should give you a a big clue. I'll tell you, one of our longtime listeners got this one early. Oh yeah, 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 because of the alma mater. I would think so, but I, did did he did he text you without me? That's just going to well, he can't my... he can't listen because we're tape we're recording this. So oh, I see. He won't actually hear it until we've. More Let me than explain likely, how the podcast thing works. I know. 
We're not live. <laughs> no, we're. And I'm I, I shouldn't say we're. I'm not very bright. No, I understand that. He's going to get the. I I thought of him the entire time. I thought that he's going to. He's going to know some of these stats right off the bat because of, you know, who he follows and um, not just uh, pro, but in college as well. All right. So we're going to remind you of our poll question, ladies and gentlemen, one more time. We've talked about it earlier. Are the most heartbreaking loss, player loss for your team? John Pelkey said his was Steve Spurrier. He went beyond the, the player. Jeff has said, um, Anthony Rendon and Anthony Rendon, Shaniel. which is just it did suck happened. when Shaquille left. I was I was Shaquille left. I will say that that really did suck. Shaquille O'Neal was his first, and then Anthony Rendon, and mine was Gaylord Perry, and then secondarily was Charles Haley. So we're asking you send it to podcastafr at gmail dot com. Give us a voice memo, or uh, post it on our Facebook pages AFR after further review with Mark Ferrer and John Palkey, or our individual pages. And give us your most heartbreaking player loss for your team. Anything else, John? You should probably give him the answer to the progressive trivia before we that, get out of here. That's what I'm going to do right now. Jeff, do you have yeah. any guess? No, I think you went too old school for me. Ah, interesting. Interesting. I thought about that. See, that's that's the other thing you have to balance. It, it may have been uh, maybe too old school. It was Franco Harris. All right. right. I know him. <laughs> but his career had essentially peaked by the time you were born. I no, think. I, it's funny because I had to think about it. I knew I knew the name Mike Tice, but now I remember he coached. He was the head coach, coach of the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings. Yes, okay, good. I knew I knew that name. Okay. And he played with the Vikings, but he finished up his career in Seattle, and uh, that's where Franco Harris finished up his career. Now, the Charlie Young, that threw me off. Did Charlie put in some years with the with the Steelers, or was he also with that Seattle team in the end? He, he was with that Seattle team as well. Okay, so that makes that makes a good deal of sense. And uh, for you to go to Franco as opposed to Kurt Warner or someone else on that Seattle team. Well, course, Kurt Warner wasn't in the Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Famer. Right. And I initially thought Billy Sims when you said Charlie Young, and I thought, gosh, did Sims, you know, did he do a – because there's always that cup of coffee year at the end with another team – and I was right. trying to remember, did he you know, go to Minnesota or something to play with Tice? Um, but then then I was able to narrow it down. I also knew that um, um, Penn State played a 1970 Orange Bowl against Missouri. Okay, um, hang on. Seriously? You remember that? Yeah, and I'll tell you why. No, it's, it's not. It, remarkable. It's not. No, I was watching uh, a, uh, a special on um, integration of college football. And it was talking about uh, Alabama and towards the end of the 60s, during, during the civil rights era, it happened to them in 68 when they were undefeated, uh, untied, uh, undefeated and untied. And they lost in the national championship vote to a one tied Notre Dame, 66, excuse me, a one tied Notre Dame team. And that they were often getting uh, they, they were starting to lose um, votes because the team wasn't integrated. And uh, there was some discussion about ending up playing number two Penn State and Penn State instead went ahead and didn't didn't wait for a decision to be made and went ahead and said, oh, no, we weren't we're going to play Missouri in the Orange Bowl. So that's how I know it. I recently since this whole isolation thing's been going on, I caught a documentary that uh, reminded me of that, though. I think I might have been able to get it. 
I knew I knew that Franco Harris, I'd remembered that he played in the Orange Bowl. And Penn State actually played back-to-back Orange Bowls, 1969-1970. So he played Kansas and then Missouri. So not much luck with the ladies, huh? <laughs> no, none. None whatsoever. <laughs> none whatsoever. Well, I think... I think part of it is, is if you look at the final AP poll from the 1969 season, uh, so it Texas. Was 69 to Kansas was the. It Kansas? was 69. It was the 69 no, season, and it was the 70 Orange Bowl because it was January 1st. Right. So it was and, Nixon's fault. Well, it, yeah, Texas. First of all. Yeah, because the Texas Arkansas game, and Richard Nixon went to the game at the end of the season, and after the game, he announced that you know. Texas will be the national champion. And I think they ended up having, he gave them a plaque. And I think he ended up having I, to make a plaque at that, at that time. Penn state had the longest winning streak in the, see, in the nation. I, I can't, I can't even compete with that. But I think what the problem is, it, it goes beyond Nixon is that they were never n- number one in any of the AP polls. Right. And they went from two to five following a, uh, a win over Kansas because they were undefeated. They were at Kansas State. They beat them by three. So they went from two to five. Then they went from five to eight after a win, but it was at Syracuse and it was 15 to 14. So just like it is today, John, if you struggle with a average to bad team, even if you win, you're going to go down in the polls. They went all the way down to eight midseason. Yeah. They also, and, if you look at their schedules, they they really weren't playing. They weren't playing a lot of teams. They were back independent. Then. They were independent back then. Yeah, they were an, they were an independent. And you know, when you're an independent, you schedule a couple of years ahead of time. They didn't really end up playing any ranked team, many ranked teams, if any. No, they um, played West Virginia, who was 17, and then Missouri, who was six. And that was right. It. Right. So they, uh, yeah, they. Uh, th- there are a lot of reasons why that happened, but. Um, yeah, that's a that's a great story. That those pens. Remember, the Orange Bowl used to have their uh, the the team that automatically went was the Big Eight team, hence Kansas and Missouri in back to back. See, look at you. See, you know, you know all that stuff. I don't know that stuff. I can't believe you know about the Texas Arkansas game from December sixth of nineteen sixty nine. Arkansas yeah, but, was the number two team in the country at the time. Yeah, there was number one versus number two. I think James Street was the. How name do you know this for Texas? Uh, it's a very famous game. There's there's a documentary that's um, uh, Horns, Hogs and Nixon's coming, I think is the name of it, that basically covers the fact that Richard Nixon, big college football, played college football at Whittier, a huge football fan, uh, went to the game and then went into the locker room after the Texas victory with Daryl Royal and announced that they were the national champions, despite the fact that, again, Penn State had the longest winning streak in a nation that uh, up to then. They were undefeated. Um yeah, and uh, so I guess the, 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 the argument is the voters didn't want to go against the president. So Penn well, State never stood possibly. A Penn State had just beaten uh, West Virginia. That was it in terms of a ranked opponent, and they were 17. Uh, Texas had beaten Oklahoma, of course, which is they were number eight, and they had beaten the number two team in Arkansas, and then they played Notre Dame uh, in the Cotton Bowl. So how about that? You know all yep. about that stuff. I, I, I know a little bit about that stuff. You, you know a lot about that stuff. You were able to get Franco Harris very early. All right. You know, what I what I can't come up with, and, and I and I did get my performance-enhancing device, but the quarterback for that Missouri team was actually a uh, a guy who went on uh, to play in college. And, you know, that that's always a big deal for me is knowing where guys uh, in college play. 
and, and I can't find it. For the next show, I will tell you who the Missouri quarterback is because it was it was some like Mike Phipps or one of those 70s quarterbacks that played for a while that we all sort of knew who they were, but they never really stepped out because their teams never made the playoffs. So I'm going to find that out. That's what you're going to find out for the next show, Mark. Can't wait. The 1969 starting quarterback for the Missouri Tigers. I can't imagine why this show is not blowing up. I cannot wait, John Pelkey. All right, that does it for us. This has been a pretty long show, and we didn't even get to one of the segments. For John Pelkey, Jeff Taylor, I'm Mark Furr. You've been listening to After Further Review. Please stay safe.